Okay, should we do the clapping thing? Yeah, we'll clap on go. So we'll do one, two, three, go. Okay. All right. One, two, three, go. You are now listening to Uninformed Consent. Where we provide uninformed information to an informed population. My name is DeMonte Whiting. My name is Eric Cruz. And we will be your hosts for this evening. I was like, wait, wait, did I miss something? No, I had a perfect, like my clap was so perfectly in tune with yours as you probably didn't even hear it. (laughs) Okay, perfect, perfect. So yeah, here we are. It is, uh, what is it, December 4th, 4th, I think? 2020. Uh, And today we'll be talking about self-esteem. This is an interesting topic and uh, it can lead to a lot of different directions, but it's something that I think about a lot and it's something that uh, comes up often in my sessions with my clients, so. Uh, I guess I'll start with the definition. I've been looking at a, a couple different definitions for, def- for self-esteem. And one that I come up with so far is one's evaluation of their worth. And, you know, it goes along with the lines of how you feel about yourself in general. Um, I guess when I think about self-esteem, I think about how you feel about yourself overall and as well as how, how you feel about yourself in different uh, situations. Right. And I think it's not like a, a, a this or a that. Like, it's not like you have good self-esteem or you have low self-esteem i think it's like contextual and environmental exactly and like some situations you feel very confident and in other situations like it'll you feel unconfident and right and i agree with you this i love this topic is something that comes up in a lot of my therapy sessions and in in addition to that it's something i also struggle with having low self-esteem i mean having low self-esteem was probably the reason i turned into a drug addict Oh, wow. Tell me about that. Well, like, you know, growing up in high school and middle school uh, and elementary school, you know, everyone kind of has these like roles they fill, you know, like there's either like there's like the good students or like the athletic type or the creative artist. And I just felt like I never had that thing that would be like my identity. And so like going into high school. In order to like fit a role or a thing or an identity, I became the crazy person that could do more drugs than everyone else because I thought that that would make me cool. And I clearly I was so, you, oh, so over involved with trying to be cool because I had low self esteem. Got it. And so when you say like trying to be cool, was it more so tr- a way of trying to get attention? Because what I find is mm-hmm. that what people. The reason why people engage in different types of behavior is because they want attention. And so they try different things until one works. Right. So you can either be the smart kid in class or you can be the jokester in class or you can be the tough guy in class or like the comedian, you know. And so whatever works to get you attention. Yes, 100 percent. Attention and recognition. Right. How do I fit in amongst these other kids? What's my thing? Right. And then there's like this. In like tremendous amounts of competition, right? Like we're as our culture as Americans is very competitive. And I feel like sometimes, sometimes competition makes us be better, right? Like we strive, it helps both parties because they compete with each other and they strive to be better. And it's like a motivation to push yourself. And then other times it's a source of having low self-esteem. Because okay. you compare yourself to other people that are better than you, and mm-hmm. then you feel horrible about yourself. Or you size up people beneath you, and you're like, I'm better than them. 
And then that damages your relationships with people that you consider to be beneath you. And I feel like that comes from upbringing. I feel like uh, if you grew up in a household where you are taught to be independent, where you're taught to be autonomous, um, and your values and your, your values are seen as important to your parents or your caregivers, then maybe you don't need that. You don't have that. You don't grow up with that need to feel like you need to compete with others to be uh, relevant. I agree. Yes. You know, and and I love and so, the, what you're talking about here with like early caregivers too, um, because I think like it's a very cliche thing in psychology to say, well, if you have problems, let's just look at the past. Right. Like blame everything on your parents. I know that's not really what we do, but there's like an overgeneralization in psychology is like, what did your parents do when you were growing up? But I think when we talk right. about low self-esteem, we really know that that really comes from early caregivers. That's like one of the ones that's like 100 percent related to that. Um, right. Like if you have right. at least in terms of a worldview, in terms of a global view of yourself, Um because self-esteem can also be attached to specific scenarios. Sure. You know, like, but in terms of having a constant sense of, let's say, high self-esteem. Yeah, I think that that's definitely related to your upbringing. Mm-hmm. I think low, too. Like, I'm going to list off some things like, uh, like disapproving authority figures, overly critical mm-hmm. parents, uninvolved, preoccupied parents. Right. And mm-hmm. then... uh trauma sure yeah well when you say trauma though do you mean i guess what we've seen is that trauma that happens at an early enough age uh can be something that can be held on for a longer period of time than something that happens later on so for example if a child is molested at like i don't know three years old or five years old or six years old it's more likely to have a lifelong impact on them and their their view of themselves than let's say 14 years old right that makes sense you know? to me, don't you think? Yeah, because uh, it's it's as a fourteen year old, you have a better sense of self of who you are uh, and your surroundings than you do at a younger age, and you you have a better idea of what's normal based on your experience growing up, you know, in the family. So, um, if something happens at a really young age, you don't know what's normal, what's not normal, mm-hmm. and so that may become normal for you, right? And that can affect your self esteem in general. Whereas something that takes place let's say a specific incident you're walking down the street at like 16 years old and you get raped or something it would be easier to to apply that to that specific issue as opposed to this is who i am right yeah so it's weird so it's like it's like you're saying um depending on where on the developmental line that that happens right the more because when it happens it kind of interrupts your developmental process but the exactly. more developed you are, uh, the less interruption there would have been, right? Because it's happened uh, after uh, that. Like you, right. get, you get to amass more time developing your personality before this trauma right. kind of like wrecks it. And your self-image. So, and your self-image. Exactly. And so because you may have already had time to develop who you know your self-image and you have a – let's say you have a pretty good family uh, – and you grow up pretty well, then your self-image is a little more stable at 14, you know? So if something were to happen, you would, it'd be easier to attribute it to the situation as opposed to yourself. Right. So like, what does that mean though, for someone that was like traumatized in early childhood? Are they just like screwed? Um, 
It is. It's one of those things where do are they just screwed? I'm gonna say no because if <laughs> I right. thought that someone who had a no because if I think someone had a traumatic experience and they're screwed, you know, at a, at a young age and they're screwed, then what's the purpose of having therapy? Right. Most people have traumatic experiences as a kid, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Um, I just, so no, I, I don't think. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to ask that question because I think if you're sitting here like and you're like had tra- you know childhood trauma, like so that basically means I'm. Uh, I'm, yeah, it's all over for me. <laughs> and right. I want to make clear that right. it's not. No, it just makes it more difficult. Like, for example, yep. if I grew up uh, like this, something that I'd suffer from is anxiety. Right. And it's something that came just from my, my experience growing up. And so because it happened at a young enough age, then it's something that I still deal with on a, on a regular basis. But because I've had some work, because I've dealt uh, worked on myself over the years. I can put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not like it's, it's not gone. I still experience it, but I can experience it in a healthy way. Right. Right. So we so kind of maybe the difference. Right. Yeah. I agree. I 100% agree. Couldn't agree more. So we covered some, you know, trauma, right? What about like overly critical parents? Yeah. Yeah. Or overly like uh, observant parents, you know, like uh, the helicopter parents or something. You know, right? Um, you can either yeah. extreme can create that low self esteem. Yeah, and it's it's crazy because the parents don't do it because they want to destroy your self esteem. They do it because they want to build your self esteem. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not I'm not watching everything you do and like telling you everything you do is wrong because I want to destroy you. It's because I want to make sure that you make the right decision. Right. Right. But in the but the problem is that in the process of doing so. What I create is this child who doesn't who doesn't believe they can do anything because the only time they get attention from me is when they're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And then right. on the other extreme, you have the overly supportive parents, right? Like these helicopter parents that are like all they do is take care of everything for you because they believe that mm-hmm. you're not capable of taking care of yourself. And then the result is you never learn to take care of yourself. So then you have low self-esteem. Right. right. And you can, you pretty much live up to the expectations, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or live down to the expectation. You yeah. know, like if I think you can't do anything right, then you can't do anything right, and yeah. then you start thinking that you can't do anything right, mm-hmm. and that's it, and it's and that's the reality for you. Yeah, you know, I I think a that's lot good. of times in general we talk a lot as people and and in our industry in psychology we talk a lot about what not to do, but sometimes we don't talk about what you should be doing. Like I had that experience a lot, like through my training as a clinician, it was like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, this causes harm to people. And I'm like, okay, but like, what do I do? (laughs) (laughs) Anything else but this, anything else but this you can do. So like, how do you, like, if you're a parent, how do you create a, uh, how do you have kids with high self-esteem? How do you create an environment that's conducive to building self-esteem for a kid? Right. I think one area is building their sense of autonomy is building their sense of like self is it self-reliancy okay the word that's close because enough. like yeah if you think about like the terrible twos right it's a perfect it's a perfect starting point for helping your child to build autonomy this is the time when they start being more independent they're able to walk now they're starting to be able to talk and it's this it's this period when the, when the parents get more uh frustrated because now I really got to watch out for this kid hurting themselves. And if they're just trying to find, they're just trying to understand the world better. And it's what you do in these moments that kind of develop that sense of, oh, I can do this on my own or I can't do this on my own, you know? Right. 
That's so hard to do. It -hmm. requires a lot of intention. Yes. Attention and intention. Yeah. Yeah. I think parents, it it would be a great idea. I don't know how plausible it is, but it'd be great for parents to learn about parenting before they parent. You know, like learn about effective parenting because it's hard to parent. It's hard to learn about parenting while you're parenting, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and learn about different practices or even practice, you know, like different techniques and whatnot for effective parenting or positive parenting. um, It would have a better impact because a lot of a lot of times what happens is we think we want we have an idea of what we want to do or how we want to be as parents. Uh, But once we're thrown in the role, the baby's now here, we kind of have to pull on what we know. And so if we haven't learned anything uh, as far as what is what is effective parenting, you know, then we pull on what we know. And that may not be the best place to pull from. Right. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. That actually makes me think of something that's kind of off topic, but related, which is Mm -hmm. like. Like, I feel like the tools that we teach in therapy should be general requirements in school growing up. I like, think it should be general requirements in gen- yes, yes, exactly. Like, like we push like English and math and all these like things down students' throats, but we never teach them about themselves or their emotions. Right. And like, same thing with like, we, you know, like we have like driver's exams to make sure you can drive, but we don't make parents take parenting exams before they're, right? <laughs> they're allowed to be parents. Or basic, or basic <laughs> communication skills, like a, like a, yeah, uh, assertive communication skills, so that you can right. be able to talk to people um, in healthy ways and have healthy conversations and have healthy relationships. You know. Yeah, and as a society, we pr- prioritize these like basic, fundamental academic skills, and then we just assume that the rest is like common knowledge, right? <laughs> like, you yeah. should know how to parent. It just means being a person. You should know how to be a, a wife or a husband or a partner. That's just part of being a person. <laughs> we don't right. have to teach you, you these things. <laughs> but it's funny, though, because I, I can see that being a problem for some people, especially the idea of, like, teaching about relationships in school. You know, I can see a lot of parents saying, well, I don't want my kid to know about that just yet. I want to be the one to teach them. You right. Know? But sometimes those parents aren't the healthiest people to be teaching no. their children no. <laughs> how to have healthy, you know, relationships. Yeah. But yeah, it's I mean, but at the very least, we could be teaching them about their emotions, you know? Yeah. How do yeah. you know when you're anxious? What do you feel in your body when you're anxious? What does anxiety mean? Where does it come from? Like, right. how many people are suffering from, like, chronic anxiety disorders that have never been diagnosed and... Showing up to, you know, urgent care later in their life because they think they're having a heart attack and they turn out it's a panic attack. Because no one ever yeah. taught them about what anxiety is. There's a mental yeah, health epidemic. It is. But but I, I like that we're having this conversation because it gives me ideas about what the future could hold, you know, in terms of what could be added to the education system or, you know, either in the system itself or something, something that's supplemental mm-hmm. that can focus on this aspect of development right but i think it's i just think it's kind of crazy that like you know i uh i don't know the difference between a heart attack and an an anxiety attack but you know i can do geometry like how many times have you used geometry in your life and well it's interesting too because sometimes that is that can be cultural you know 
Like right. I've worked with people from different cultures and some cultures, they, they tend to experience like emotions or like negative emotions through physical ailments, you know, like oh, my stomach hurts or I got a headache or like, you know, um, yeah, like I'm having a heart attack or something, you know, and a lot of these things can be tied into uh, distress, but they just, it's just not labeled that way. And mm-hmm. that's the other part too. Some things are labeled differently in different cultures. Right. Definitely. Yeah. There's definitely cultural considerations there. hundred percent. It's crazy. Going back to, yeah. So going back to self-esteem, yeah, this all, this all plays into it. Um, the funny yep. thing about self-esteem is for me, a big part is, is the name itself. Like it gives off the impression that it's something that's developed inward. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you have to develop on your own. I think self-esteem should be called social esteem, you know, because Interesting. it's not grown in it. It's not grown in itself. It has to be, it comes from externally. A person that has high self-esteem, what are some things that would help to create high self-esteem? It's the people you're around. It's the things that you do for a living, Mm -hmm. things that you do for fun, doing something that they do well, being recognized by people um, for what they do, you know? Yeah, it's really interesting what you're kind of how, what you're proposing. Um, And because it's such a complicated issue, but like Mm -hmm. what I'm thinking of is uh, like, Something I talk about with my clients a lot, which is like intrinsic validation versus extrinsic validation. And right. I'm kind of of the mind that if you were to do a Venn diagram, you know, where those two overlap is like the best. But if you had to pick one over the other, I would say that intrinsic validation is more sustainable than extrinsic validation. But you know, the point that you're bringing up is that, like, how do you you can't build self-esteem in a vacuum, right? Like, no. like you have to it's the way you interact with the environment around you. How do you know mm-hmm. you're good at something if you're not doing it within a societal like context? Context. right? <laughs> yeah. And part exactly. of that societal context will be the extrinsic validation that I think is less mm-hmm. sustainable than intrinsic. But I guess you can't really build the intrinsic validation without like some starting points that probably stem from extrinsic validation. Exactly. And even the idea of intrinsic validation any from get go starts from childhood, from from your interactions with other people during childhood. Right. So someone who has a who has a constant sense of high self-esteem did not create that self-esteem by themselves. They weren't born with it. Mm-hmm. It was created. You know? Yep. And that the fact that it happened early earlier on enough is what creates that that ability to, to hold that feeling throughout life. Mm-hmm. Where someone who didn't who who wasn't raised in an environment where that self-esteem was was encouraged and developed can still get it. Um they just have to reach more into those areas that, that provide it. So like, fine. If you didn't have a positive relationship with your immediate family, f- creating a family of people that, that celebrate you and that treat you positively will help to build that esteem around people. Right. Right. Cause you may have never had that before doing a, doing some type of work or occupation where you do it well and you're recognized for doing it well. That also raises your self esteem, mm-hmm. you know, because you're doing something that you love. And you're getting praised for it. You're around people that love you and you're being praised. And having a relationship where people treat you the way you should be treated, you know, like anyone should be treated, also helps to build your self-esteem. And so although you may not have it initially, intrinsically, you know, based on your childhood upbringing, if you can surround yourself in those key key domains, like in your personal relationship, 
in your familial relationship, in your occupation, then it's enough of a buffer or enough of a, the proper surroundings to help create a self-esteem that can be last, that can last um, for a long period of time. I agree. 